Welcome back. We're in Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. Let's go, Genesis 42, 1. But first, last week I was out. I was helping at a beach camp in South Padre. We had about 400 students and probably 50 to 100 leaders. And uh, it was amazing. We had probably 100 to 150 people profess their faith in Christ. And roughly 95 people get baptized, including two at the very last minute, the mother and daughter of one of my guys in my group, which is just incredible. And it's just a, just a reminder of young people who are hungry for Jesus and pray that so many people, so many more people are hungry for Jesus and that lives would be changed and that people would come to know Jesus through these young people. Some of their parents don't really know Jesus. Maybe they're lukewarm. Uh, maybe they are just don't care. They're just sending their kid to camp to do something. And, and these kids can work through them. And they can work the through the leaders who are also le- leading these students to reaffirm their faith and give them confidence. So just an awesome deal. Uh, so just wanted to share that as great news, as fun. Um, uh, Back and uh, back into the podcast now. So here we are. We've got jo- Joseph's brothers going to Egypt. There's a famine throughout all of the land, including Egypt. There were seven years of plenty and now seven years of famine, and it is rough. But God gave the Pharaoh a dream and put Joseph in the perfect place to be able to interpret that dream and all the circumstances that led to this, right? So some of the crazy things that had to have happened. He had to get sold to slave traders. He had to end up in Egypt. He had to uh, end up as a, a slave of this guy. And then God prospered what he did. And then the guy's wife lied and basically said he tried to rape me. And so he got thrown in prison. And then he interpreted this guy's dream. And that guy got out and didn't help Joseph at all. Even though the, this guy had, uh, Joseph had perfectly interpreted his dream. And later Pharaoh was like, who's going to interpret my dream? And this guy's like, who's really close to Pharaoh, he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you that this guy's awesome. He's in prison. He interpreted my dream perfectly. You should probably have him look into your dream. And so he did. And the guy was like, I want you to be my you know, right-hand man. I want you to help lead the country, essentially. And so he led the charge. Now they've got a storage of grain to help people out. It's just amazing, the circumstances, right? Joseph had to go through horrific circumstances. We can't look at these lightly. We read over them. We're like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, you know, he's a slave. He's imprisoned. He was... Li- uh, set up for you know being uh, sent to prison for rape or attempted rape and all this stuff. <laughs> but you, you look back on it and you're like, wow, God, you know, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And Joseph was an amazing man and he, he wasn't complaining and throwing his arms and pitching a fit and fighting. It sounds like he opened his mouth not. He witnessed and worked hard where he was. And remember that Joseph is a prototype, he's an example, a symbolic of the, at that time, the future Jesus. And uh, so here we go, we're going to see what's going on with all this famine, yet he's got food and he's in charge of it. It says, 42.1, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he and said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt, go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So he says, why do you look at one another? God doesn't want us to sit around on our butts waiting for stuff to just happen. He wants us to use the beautiful minds and bodies that he gave to us. 
right? There's some people who are like, hey, if God's good, he'll, he'll just get me this job. What are you doing to, to do something for that job? Well, I'm just, you know, sleeping on the couch and watching TV. And if God is who he says he is, he'll just bring me that job. Someone will knock on my door and say, here's an employment agreement for $400,000. We want you. You're the guy, right? That's not going to happen. God wants us to work. But God doesn't want us to think it's all our efforts, right? We put in the inputs and we trust him with the output. If the output's great, we praise him. If the output is not even close to great, we give him the praise and the glory. I wonder if these guys, uh, Jacob's sons, were afraid to go to Egypt knowing that they had sold their brother to slave traders. Perhaps there was guilt and remorse over their past decision, and they didn't want to be reminded of their horrible decision by going into the lion's den. All right, maybe that's why they were just sitting around. And so in verse 2, he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Well, of course. I mean, everybody around the world would have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Uh, so it's interesting that he says this to his sons. His sons would have had all the, probably the same information that he had, if not more. So he says, Go down to that place and buy for us there. So let's look at Isaiah 55, 1 which says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And John 3.16 which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? So he said, Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So they're going. It's going to be uh, an incredible time that we're going to see. And we can't buy eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. It can't be earned. It can't be bought. You can't do enough deeds. Our deeds are the fruit of our salvation, not the root of our salvation. Our deeds are for other people's salvation, not for our own. Once you come to a saving faith in Christ, your deeds have nothing to do with you going to heaven. They have everything to do with glorifying God and showing your neighbor, who could be your family member, an employee, an employer, a colleague, someone down the road, a stranger you meet on a business trip or a vacation, uh, those deeds could have a Im- significant impact on whether that person comes to salvation. All right, and it says that we may live and not die. This was truly a matter of life and death, right? This wasn't just, oh, here's a good idea. I think we should do it. It's like, if you don't do this, we are going to die because there is no food anywhere near us. Verse 3. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Notice there's ten, right? It's Joseph plus these ten plus Benjamin. So that in total makes twelve. But only ten ten brothers go down to buy Egypt. Verse 4, But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So why didn't he send Benjamin? Well, Jacob only had two sons with Rachel. Remember his beloved Rachel? He had multiple wives because he was tricked by his father-in-law into marrying both of his daughters. And Rachel was his true love, and he had two sons with her. 
And there were Benjamin and Joseph. Joseph was, he thinks, dead, right? Maimed, maimed by animals. That's what his brother, his uh, sons told him and lied to him about. So he's only got one more son of Rachel, Benjamin, and he must be really protecting him. Protecting him. And I wonder, remember how the other sons got jealous, jealous of Joseph because he had the, you know, the fancy coat, right? I think they were jealous of him, and that's why they, uh, you know, threw him in the pit and sold him to slave traders and lied to their dad, saying, "Oh, he was killed." I wonder now if they're angry and jealous of Benjamin, just like they were of Joseph. Are they thinking about how they can get rid of Benjamin? Are they reminded of what they did to Joseph? Yeah, I, th- I think they probably are. And verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. So he must have been a busy guy, because being the one who sold to everyone, and since Egypt was the only place with the stash of grain, there must have been an incredible amount of people coming to him in Egypt. And, and, and again... This shows the authority and the position that God had put him in. Because he earned it? No, because this is where God won him. And he dutifully served God. He praised God. He glorified God. And God blessed him. But there will be people who love Jesus. And we would look at them and say, oh, they're not blessed. They don't have this success, this career, this money, this bank account, etc. But remember, that's just worldly success. That has nothing to do with eternal success. Some of the people who are going to be, have the greatest rewards in heaven are those who have the worst circumstances on earth, right? And God will use that and work through that. And he's not ignorant of it. He doesn't know about it. He's not surprised by it. We won't get to heaven and say, God, did you, you, you know this is what I went through? I'd be like, of course. I knew the number of hairs on your head. I knew the thoughts before you thought them. I knew how many children you would have before you had them. I knew what you would name them. I know how many years you would live on this earth. I knew all of that. Nothing surprises me. Right? So that's just the awesomeness of God. And we should trust Him where we are and honor Him where we are, not waiting to honor Him at some point. Oh, I'll wait and, you know, honor Him and serve when I retire. I'll wait and tell people about Jesus once I'm, you know, rich and retired or whatever. No, He wants you to do it right here, right now. Um, And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before Him with their faces to the earth. Verse 7 Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. So, why did he act as a stranger? He wanted to see their true hearts. Had he simply revealed to them that, then perhaps who he was, then perhaps then they would have only sucked up to him in order to get food, and would not have known if they were really repentant. Right? If he's like, "Hey, I'm your brother. It's all good," they'd have probably been like. Oh, bro, we're so happy to see, and all, 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 you know, they're just have this jealousy again. They're like, well, we sold you to slave traders because we're jealous of you, and now you got, you know, fame and fortune and money and position, and you're the one who holds the key to whether we live or die. Yeah, we're going to suck up to you, and we're also going to be jealous of you. So he really wants to see their hearts, whether they're true. Um, he was wanting to see if they were genuinely repentant or not. And guess what? Jesus did the same exact thing. God doesn't want the fake, disingenuous believers. No, he wants genuine, compassionate believers. Jesus didn't perform miracles and then say, now you have to believe that I'm God because that was proof, so go tell everyone. No. Typically, he would perform miracles. He'd want to be kept quiet. He'd say, don't tell anybody about this, right? Because he had purpose for everything that he did. And we want to be 
he wants genuine believers, which is why we say we're not robots, right? You can't force someone to love you. You can look at that person, that that woman, that man, if you're not married or whatever, and you're like, I want that person to love me. I'm going to make them love me. I'm going to make my son or daughter love me. I'm going to make my parents love me. I'm going to make my colleagues love me. No, they may not. You can do things to earn their love, but you can't force them to love you. And that's why God didn't say, you have to love me. I'm going to force you to love me because that's not love. Love requires choice. It requires free will. And here, Joseph is acting on that as that symbol of the future, uh, Jesus on earth. He is waiting to see their compassion, waiting to see how genuine they actually are, waiting to see whether they're truly repentant on their own accord, with their free will, with their choice. So I think the application for today is to just think about what love really is, right? There's people in our family, people around us that we want to force to make great decisions. We want to force to love us, but we can't. We can lead them, but we can't force them. It's just like these kids at camp, at beach camp, the 400 people that we had down there. We couldn't force them and say, you have to love Jesus. You have to love Jesus. Oh, and you, you too have to love Jesus. No, we lead them. We guide them. We teach them. We show them. And then God will do a work on some of their hearts that they be softened and they come to saving faith in Jesus, that they would place their faith, right? Because salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. That's why he tells us if you confess with your heart that Jesus is the Lord and you believe if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? It's that free will, that choice. We must accept the universal offering that Jesus has given to us. That he died on the cross for all, he wants that none shall perish, no not one. We know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that there is no one righteous, no not one. But we get access to the throne because of what Jesus did. He was our intercessor. He was our substitute. Uh, the shedding of blood is required for remission of, of sin. All of that is encompassed in Jesus. And all he says is declare me your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Repent of your sins, right? So, Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for choosing to love us despite the horrible decisions that many of us continue to make, all of us make, and some of us more often, some of us bigger. It doesn't matter, Lord. You say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Help us to understand that. Understand that you will spit what we call lukewarm people, lukewarm Christians out of your mouth. You're either born, we are either born again or we are not. Remind us of this fact. And help us to do good deeds, not for our salvation, not to earn anything, but because we want to serve you. And we know that it serves as a wonderful witness to others that they may come to salvation through seeing you as, as we act as your hands and feet. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. This podcast brought to you in part by the Portfolio Protection Store, where smart investors go to protect their life savings from stock market losses. Visit our website to register for our webinar, theportfolioprotectionstore.com. The webinar is about portfolio protection and safe money ideas for ages 50 plus. Visit theportfolioprotectionstore.com. Located in Austin, Texas, license number 288-7886.